0: We've been in a series about the various roles that we play in life from friend to neighbor to employee and this week to church member. And when we started this series, I joked that uh, perhaps you might be conveniently away this week. So some of you were either forgetful or you're a glutton for punishment, because this is the week when the pastor gets to beat up on you for not having a perfect attendance record who wants to deal with all that guilt. So what some people do is they go to the opposite extreme. At least once a year, I have somebody who tells me that they're a Christian, but they're not really into church and tell me that they can be as close to God on a walk in the woods or sitting on a dock at their lake place. And uh, even this week, I read a New York Times article about a family that couldn't agree on where they would go to church. And so they decided that they'd take a hike every Sunday morning, and they did. All the time that this uh, young woman, now a uh, middle, uh, I guess someone in her 20s, she said all during childhood, that's what they did. A few years ago, a best-selling Christian author confessed in a blog that he rarely goes to church. He hates singing. He thinks that uh, churches don't engage him. It's not his learning style, he said. Um, He connects with God in other ways and defended himself by saying that many of his equally famous friends don't attend church either. And he used words like graduated and evolved and said that the church might be fine for some, but he just didn't need it anymore. Now, that blog post generated considerable backlash But he isn't the only person to reach that conclusion. So this week I bumped into another blog by someone I don't know, never heard of before, and the title was Relax Christian, you don't have to go to church. He said, it's okay, you're the church and and God's all around you, so wherever you find yourself on Sunday morning is holy ground. He said, so sleep in, go for a run, read a book, take a drive in the country, catch up with an old friend, work in your garden. Every place you go is sacred and God is there, so you can love God without going to church. Now he did admit that there's some value from time to time in connecting with others, but you can do that a lot of places, you don't need to go to church to do that, so just be aware of God in the moment. So what do you think? Are these two guys right? Well here's the challenge for me at least today, and that is that I don't agree with either of them for what I think are some pretty good reasons, but it would probably be best if anyone else but me were up here today, because after all, I'm biased, uh, pastor challenging people to be in church is a little bit like a uh, financial planner encouraging you to save or a dentist telling you to floss. So I clearly have a vested interest in seeing that you're here in church and become a vital member of this church community. So I'm well aware that many of you will question my objectivity. A few years ago, I started making a mental list of verses in the Bible that pastors shouldn't preach on, and near the top of the list is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. It's the verse on the card in your program, which says, "'Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another.'" Now, the plain meaning, especially of the second sentence of that verse, is go to church, don't sleep in, don't take a walk in the woods, don't sit by caribou and read the New York Times. Instead, get up a bit early and get to church. Of course, I can't say that, right? I'm biased, except that the idea of being regularly involved in a church community is embedded in what it means to be a Christian. It's not an afterthought. So then the question that I've gotten from time to time is, does it, do you have to, To go to church if you're a Christian? Um, And the answer really is no, except that Hebrews 10 says you can't be an obedient Christian without being regularly in church. There are a group of authors that are called the church fathers. In the first two or three centuries after Jesus ascended into heaven, these were the leaders of the Christian church. Their writings are not in the Bible, but we look back to them for a window on how the early church viewed their practice as Christians. And one of those is a man named Cyprian who famously once said, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. In other words, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. So I'm biased, but I hope that you can see that the bias that I have is the bias that God has. And that's the reason we're talking today about what it means to be a good church member. It's not just so I'm not the only person who shows up here on Sunday. Um, God's plan for you is to be a part of a church community, and it's really good for you. And I hope by the end of today, you'll agree with me. And so what I want to do first is answer the question that the title poses, and that is, how can you be a good church member? And my first suggestion is the least surprising of all of them, and that is to show up. Now, it would be easy for me right now to pile on the guilt. I think the writer of Hebrews has already said, let us not neglect meeting together, Um, But you might ask, why is showing up in my best interests? The earliest description of the Christian church is in Acts chapter 2. Luke is the man who wrote this, and he described the church in Jerusalem. This isn't the only way that churches looked at the time, but it was a kind of window into what the earliest Christian church looked like. And I want to read, it's a little bit of an extended description in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What he's really talking about is worship experiences like the one we're having this morning. And then it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. He's talking really here about meeting both the emotional and the physical needs of one another. He says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we could talk at length about this. Uh, We could spend a whole sermon. Actually, we could spend multiple weeks breaking this down and talking about what this early church looked like and, and what lessons we might learn. But I think the overall message here is that they made this a priority. They spent a lot of time together, it was important to them, and they got a lot out of it. It wasn't drudgery. Instead, what they had was great joy in gathering together, and so they made that get those gatherings a priority. Now, when I usually teach here, I don't want to single out any single group, partly because I want to be inclusive and also because I don't want to make people feel like they're being singled out. But let me just talk about one group of people that I think find church attendance most challenging. And that is, you, that is for those of you who have young children. Now, our girls are nearly grown, so we're past all of this. But Kathy and I remember well when our girls were little. Getting to church was a challenge, In fact, there were times when we staggered our church attendance. This may have only been for about six months, but we had one early riser and one that didn't get up quite so early, so one of us would get up and go with the youngest one and get to church for an early service so we could get home in time for her nap, and then the other one would go later. Again, I don't think that lasted really a long time, but it was a way for us to be regularly in church. And sometimes, I have to confess, it hardly felt like it was worth the trouble. And yet, we kept it up, and I think it paid off. And I'm not just saying that because I get paid to go to church. At that time, I wasn't on a church payroll. Going to church then was more challenging and it would have been easier for us to stay home, but we felt strongly that we needed to practice the discipline of showing up for us and for them. By coming to church, we were teaching our daughters that church is important. We were helping them build a lifelong habit And we were connecting them to both peers and adults whose lives would shape theirs. Just recently, our youngest daughter was telling us about three women in her life who have mentored her. Um, One of those attends City Church, one of those used to attend City Church, and the third is a college professor who's become an important mentor to her. She never would have met two of those three women if she hadn't been regularly in a church service. So here's my encouragement to those of you with young children, come regularly. One of the things that we try to do here at City Church is to welcome children in our midst. So while they can at times be a distraction, and we have created video overflow in the commons so that if your child gets fussy, you can take your kids out there, I'm okay with a little bit of noise. I've learned to actually block that out. I have a lot easier time with that than cell phones going off in services. But it's also why we've created age-appropriate experiences for the kids here at City Church. So whether from birth all the way through 18 years old, we've created experiences that help them hear the stories of Jesus in ways that connect with them. So whether they're in a service or whether they're in a class, bring them, it will be good for all of you. The second suggestion I have today is to make good friends. One of the deepest needs we all have is for community. We're created for relationships. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't live the Christian life well unless we are connected to others. And community is not just instrumental. It's not just a necessary means to an end. It's what our hearts deeply desire. It's what we deeply need, especially in life's most difficult moments. Paul says in Galatians 6 two, carry one another's burdens. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.4, he says that we have the privilege of comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So for this to happen, we need to make good spiritual friends where we give and take, where we serve and are served, where we care and are cared for. So it's a two-way street. What we do is engage in Christian community, and we get something out of it. And then we have the chance to extend Christian love to others. Now, many of you may have picked up that I prefer to tell positive stories. I really don't like negative stories that make you feel beat up on. So I'm going to make an exception for today. I'm going to tell a negative story, but then I'm going to balance it with a positive one. So let's just let's do this. Um, Kathy and I have uh, some acquaintances. Actually, Kathy knows them better than I do. Um, and they have bounced around churches, maybe six or seven churches over the last 30 years, and some of those churches multiple times. So it's like every 18 months they get the itch and they change churches. This last year, they experienced a tragic loss in their family, and friends came to support them, but they expressed that they were disappointed that the church they'd been attending recently didn't care for them in the way that they had hoped. Now, I don't really know. This church may have failed them. But I also know that they've barely been in one place long enough to sink down roots enough. And I can't help but wonder if their experience during this time might have been different if they had been in the same place all those years. By contrast, in August, I went to the funeral of a man that I have known for over 30 years. Uh, Years ago, Earl told me uh, a story about his early Christian experience when he was Um, just out of college. He and his new wife, he was in the military at the time, he and his new wife were transferred to a base near Washington, D.C. Now, Earl had never lived outside the city limits of Minneapolis. He went to the University of Minnesota, he lived in Minneapolis, so this was a big change to move halfway across the country. Uh, One of the first Sundays that they were there, they went to a church, and he said that a man greeted him at the door, he welcomed them, he learned their names, he introduced them to others, he even invited them home for a meal. And Earl and his wife lived in Washington, D.C., only for a couple of years. But it was the friends that they made then that really helped make that experience um, a wonderful experience. They made some lifelong friends there. And he said, that man's kindness made all the difference to us. And so from that point on, he vowed that he was going to be that man wherever he went. A few years later, Earl and his family moved back here to the Twin Cities. They settled into a church that he would attend for over 50 years. And true to his word, Earl reached out to everyone, every new person that he could see who walked through the doors of the church. In fact, when I first attended that church in 1986, he was one of the first people to welcome me. Now, Earl was 84 years old when he died. And his funeral, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but the older you are when you die, the fewer people who come to your funeral. That's sometimes a good thing because you've outlived all your friends. But Earl's funeral was well over 400. Maybe even 500 people showed up for that funeral because of his commitment to meet and reach out to people. My third suggestion is to help out. Churches are unique. They're different from other kinds of organizations because in businesses and schools and hospitals, even in the government, most of the work gets done by people who have been paid, but not in churches Now, we do have staff here at City Church, but just think about the ministries we have and and think about the ratio of paid versus volunteer. For example, City Kids, our ministry to children, we have a part-time staff person, um, and that's a really good thing, Um, and we have, on a given Sunday, maybe as many as 25 different volunteers who help make that happen, and that pattern's repeated in our ministry to students, our groups for adults, our worship services, even the work that keeps this building maintained. Yesterday, a couple of guys took out the air conditioners out of the win- window unit air conditioners and, um, just to, to help out. And that's the way God designed the church to work. The New Testament describes the church with a metaphor. It's the metaphor of a body. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And uh, if we had more time, I'd like to read from one of the four passages that describes the specific spiritual gifts. On the screen is the uh, passage from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, that describes some of the gifts. And the metaphor works like this. The human body has many parts. Now, some of those parts are more important than others, but each part is important. They're all needed in order to function properly. If any single part is missing in the metaphor... The body has some serious problems. Now, specifically, then, Paul and others talk about how there is at least one spiritual gift that each Christian has, one special job that they can do. Um, and those jobs are, and allow the church, using the metaphor, the church as a body, to function well. Just as you can't have an orchestra of only violins or a football team with only quarterbacks, you need all of those gifts to make that. Church function properly. The fourth suggestion is to give a little or a lot. Um, one of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions is giving. This is a gift um, that is given to people who find themselves to be sort of naturally generous people. Just this week, a family here at City Church uh, helped me or handed me an envelope with a gift that they wanted to anonymously give to someone who th- they thought could use it. And my guess is that that family has the spiritual gift of giving. But this is also a gift that we can learn. I I know that uh, talking about giving is a real turnoff for many. In fact, it's one of the number one complaints about people, about churches, is that we talk too much about giving. So I get it. It can be uncomfortable. It can feel uh, like we can be easily manipulated. But it is something that we need to talk about because the Bible talks about it. Um, Although not always in the way that you might imagine. Paul was one of the most important leaders of the early Christian church. And in several of his letters, he references um, a a humanitarian effort that he was leading and raising money for. What had happened is that the Christians in the church in Jerusalem were struggling financially. They didn't have enough to eat. Um, It's probably due to both an economic recession in Jerusalem at the time as well as perhaps some persecution because of their religious commitments. But Paul asked Christians in living in other more prosperous places places to help out. So he was collecting over a multi-year period um, money to help relieve the suffering that they were experiencing. And when he encourages um, others to participate in that campaign, instead of trying to make them guilty, he uses a a really interesting argument. What he does is reminds them of God's generosity to, to them. So in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So what he's using is the example of Jesus. And spiritually, what Jesus did for us is give himself physically um, to death on the cross, then was raised again so that we might have life. So that experience of giving himself generously to us, becoming poor in order that we might get the riches of a relationship with God. Throughout the rest of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, He reminds them that everything they have comes from God. It's not ours. Then he encourages them to give proportionately, telling them that the wealthy give a little more and the poor a little less. If we had time, we could go into more detail, but the bottom line is that good church members give. The final suggestion that I have is to be loyal. Like most churches, City Church has a vision. If you go out in our lobby, you'll see a wall that has a verse from Jeremiah 29.7 that says, For the peace and welfare of the city. It's an encouragement that Jeremiah made to the people of Israel when they were living in a foreign place that they be about blessing others. So that's a vision that we have as a church, that we be a church that isn't just about us, but is about benefiting others in the community and beyond. We also have a purpose statement, which we mention every two or three weeks, to love God and love others. And we have four values that we shared with you a year ago at our annual meeting. Values of invite and belong and become and serve. And we also have a statement of faith. It's a short summary of our core convictions. It doesn't cover everything, but what it does is it articulates the essentials that we believe are important for Christian faith. And the reason I mention our vision, our purpose, our values, and our statement of faith is because those of us who call City Church home are unified around these specific ideas. That doesn't mean that we don't have our differences. We do. But to be a healthy church, we need to be headed in the same direction, and this is the way that we do that. Years ago, I was in a gathering of pastors, and we got to talking about this idea of loyalty. And one of the pastors told a story about a time when a man came to see him. He said that this man had a very clear idea of how church ought to be done. And he said it was a little different than the way we were doing things. And so uh, he described, you know, he said it made sense, but it wasn't what they discerned that God had for them to do. So he told the man this. He said, I don't know if you know this, but there are 37 ways to do church. And we have picked Way 19, and what you're describing is Way uh, 23. Now, obviously, he made up the 37 ways to do church. There might be 137 ways to do church. But what he was describing to this man is that there are different visions. And what he told the man is he said, if you're on board with what we're doing, we'd love to have you participate. But otherwise, it suggests that you find a church that has this Way 23 vision. Now, some people think that it's awful that there are so many different churches and denominations. And in part, they're right because sometimes what happens is people split because somebody's stubborn and wants to do it their way. But there's another way to look at that diversity of churches that we have in our community and in the world. And that is that we need different expressions of of the Christian church in order to reach different kinds of people. Now, each one of those churches need to be united around the vision they have, loyal to the vision that they have but there can be differences, and that can be a good thing. Now, in addition to being united around a vision and mission for the church, churches also need to be loyal to their leaders. So you remember I've been keeping this mental list of verses Bible uh, pastors shouldn't teach on. Here's the one at the top of the list. It's Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. So you can see why I'm treading onto very dangerous ground here. There have been a few times, fortunately only a few times, in the history of City Church when I have been tempted to respond to an email by typing Hebrews 13:17 and letting them look it up. I've resisted so far, and I hope I can make it all the way to the end of my time here at City Church. But really the point here isn't about me. It's about making sure that collectively we follow our leaders. And by the way, I have a boss here at City Church. It's the church board. And so Hebrews 13, 17 tells me to trust them, to submit to their authority, and not to make their job burdensome. And we all need to follow our leaders. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you make City Church your church home, you will not agree with every decision that we make. But I hope that as your leaders, through board and staff, where we make wise decisions, and that then together, as we commit to a common vision and work together, we can accomplish a great deal. St. Paul once prayed for a church, and he prayed this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. And he said this: May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way that you live. Let me just repeat that middle sentence. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. A little later today, we're going to share our church objectives for 2018. These are the things that we're hoping to accomplish in the coming year. Those are the things that our faith has prompted us to do. And we're praying that God will allow us to accomplish those things. And that's what we want to work together to do. Now, if what I've shared today is something that you can get behind, then maybe you are ready to become a member here at City Church. Now, like many churches today, our attendance is far higher than our church membership. And I get that. Our parents and grandparents were joiners, and we're not. But I do think that membership is important. When I was single and dating, my friends and I used to talk about DTR conversations. I don't know if you know what that means, but what it is is the idea that when you've been dating someone for a little while, you need to have a conversation, a define the relationship conversation. And so we called those DTR conversations. Membership is the spiritual equivalent of a DTR conversation. So if City Church is your church home and you've been showing up, you're connecting with others, helping out, on board with the vision that we have for the future, then consider joining. In some ways, what I've just talked about, by the way, is countercultural. We live in a consumer age. We're connoisseurs of almost everything, including churches. We're particular. And sometimes we sound a bit like Goldilocks. We're looking for the perfect thing, just the right music and a sermon that sounds the most like the celebrity preacher that you podcast A place where we agree with every point of the church's theology, where people are our type of people, and where the vibe is just right. And I get it. The church that you attend ought to meet your needs, although what I've learned is that often your needs are met as a byproduct of doing other activities. We started today with a question. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Perhaps a better question is what kind of Christian are you trying to be? As trendy as the idea of writing church off, it may be, it's a mistake. I think the church is necessary. Sure, churches are imperfect. That's because they're made up of people like you and me. And yes, community is messy. And yet, it's in the church that we experience God's incredible grace. How else can a group of ordinary people and very different people get along and do some extraordinary things? It's in the church that God uses us when we pitch in and do things together. And it's amazing to see what God can do when he uses individual churches to reach out and love people and serve the world. Let's pray. Father, we see the church as a gift to us. You, when you were here on earth, when your son was here on earth, Jesus demonstrated what it was to, um, to serve and to live. And when he left, he left behind his body, the church, to do the things that he had done here on earth. And we get the privilege of being a part of that. So Father, may we show up. May we make good friends. May we give, may we serve. And may we be loyal to the mission of this church or the church that we have made our own church home. We pray as we do this, that you would use us in our communities and in the world in great ways. We pray this in Jesus' name.